Welcome to the First Baptist Church Brunswick podcast. Join us as we... Amen. Wasn't worship good this morning? Can we give another hand clap of praise? Can we do that, please? Well, it was, it ministered to me this morning, and I love it. I love it when we hear God's people sing and all sing in unity together. That is a beautiful, beautiful sound, and it just reminds me or helps me look to the future when we all get to heaven, and we're all going to be singing one song, and it's the name of Jesus. And it's going to bring joy and comfort. The Bible says we'll wipe every way, Jesus will wipe every tear away from us. And so I'm looking forward to that moment. And so to hear us on earth sing in unison together, it just brings great joy uh, to my heart. And uh, I know it pleases the Lord as well. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I'm sure that you do, uh, would you please take them out and go to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, as we are making our way uh, through uh, this uh, great, great book of Philippians. Um, it is the, is the most positive, the most joyful. It is the, the happiest book in the Bible and where the words uh, joy or rejoice or glad or enjoy, they're used, used over 16 times in this relatively short book. There's only 104 verses in this, in this book of Philippians, but, but it reminds us to, to take uh, joy and joy in the Lord. And uh, again, as I read uh, these verses, I'm always reminded Minded. I always go back to the fact uh, that Paul, who wrote this book to the church of Philippi, um, Paul's in prison when he writes this letter, and which just continually blows my mind that as he's in prison, uh, awaiting a, a trial date, um, he tells believers that you need to have joy. And so one of the key things that I've taken from this series is this, is that, is that joy is not based on our circumstances. Amen. Joy is not based on our circumstances. As a matter of fact, let's say that together. It's on, it's on the screen up here, and let's say this together. Here we go. Ready? Is that there? There you go. My joy is not based on my circumstances. Let's say it one more time. My joy is not based on my circumstances. I don't know if you know this or not, but that slogan or that phrase, my joy, is not based on my circumstances. That is the official slogan of every Texas Tech Red Raider fan across this great nation. It's the only way a Red Raider fan can live, is this we just have to choose joy. I mean, our team fired their coach at the first of the week, and then they lost yesterday by a mere 31 points. But we choose joy. We choose joy. And we don't base it upon our circumstances. Now, if you are a Georgia Bulldogs fan and an Atlanta Braves fan... <laughs> That's good. That's good. I, I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Take joy in your circumstances, all right? Let it be. Rejoice in that moment. But, uh, but anyways, uh, we're making our way through this great book, uh, Philippians chapter 4. Um, we're going to look at verses 1 through 9. Um, this morning, and several years ago, I had the opportunity to work uh, under uh, Dr. Charles Stanley at First Baptist Atlanta. Great experience, but uh, Dr. Stanley was, was known for preaching sermons that had 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 points. And people soaked it in. And so this morning, I'm going to take a page from Dr. Stanley's preaching notebook. And today I have a seven-point sermon. 
A seven-point sermon on Philippians 1 through 9. And then, and then after that, we are going to uh, take communion. So uh, take great courage and take great um, comfort in knowing that I'm going to fly through these seven points so we can get to um, uh, communion. But I've titled today's message, Joyful Living. Joyful Living. How can we really, how can we really as believers live a life full of joy? Must have been the theme of this book. How can we really do this? And in verses 1 through 9, as, as I see it, as I've studied and I've uh, read commentaries and studied and, and prayed about these things, I, I see seven, seven practical things that Paul tells us that we as believers that we can do that's going to bring joy to our lives. But there's one caveat to it. Paul uses these words, in the Lord. In the Lord. These seven things that I'm going to share with you today, this is not meant to be a, a, a works-related idea where that I, I do these works to get joy. What I share with you today is based upon and centered around the fact we do these things in the Lord. Meaning, these things cannot be done outside of the Lord. Meaning, if you want to experience the fullness of joy, which Jesus promised in John chapter 10, that I've come to give you life and life to the fullest, then here are some seven practical things that you and I can do today in 2021 um, that, that we can do in the Lord that, that is going to bring, I believe, joy in your life. And so I want you to write these things down. Number one, number one, the first thing that Paul says in verse number one is this, be strong in the Lord. As a matter of fact, in the text, he uses the term stand firm in the Lord. Look at verse number one, and Paul says, therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see my joy and my crown. Why don't you stop there for just a second? That phrase, joy and crown, again, I believe that proves that Paul loved sports. Joy and crown. This, is, this goes back to the ancient uh, Greek uh, Olympics because whenever you participated in these uh, Greek, ancient Greek Olympics, if you won, you received a prize, and the prize was a joy and a crown. That was your prize, meaning, meaning you received a joy and a crown when you finished the race, you completed the race, and you came out victorious. And what you would do is you would stand on a, on, 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 on a, on a box. You know what I'm talking about, first place, second place, third place, right? You get what I'm talking about? Well, in the ancient days, you would do the same thing, but that, but that first place, second place, third place box, it was called the Bema seat. Now, for some of you Bible scholars, you may know that Paul uses that word Bema seat in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when he says, as believers, believers in Christ, when they, when they enter into eternity, every believer will stand on the judgment seat. Not the great white throne judgment, that's non-believers, but for every believer, you are going to stand on the judgment seat when Paul uses the term the Bema seat. And the Bema seat means it is an awards ceremony. And you are finally going to receive that participation ribbon that you've always wanted in all of your life. Right? And you're going to receive rewards. Or God is going to reward you or award you for what you've done here on this earth. And Paul says to this church in Philippi, he says, remember, I, I started you 10 years ago. And I long to be with you because you are my joy and my crown. Meaning this, he says, church, know this. Know this, that when I stand before God and I'm on the Bema seat, you are going to be my prize. 
You're going to be my joy. And he's saying, I want you to be joyful about me so that I can be about joyful about you. But you are going to be my prize. You are going to be my crown. This is a very pastoral thing. Because in Scripture, there are five different crowns that are mentioned in Scripture. This would be great for a sermon series one day, but you have the victor's crown. You have the crown of rejoicing, the crown of righteousness, the crown of life, and the crown of glory. And there's different things will receive these crowns. And Paul says, listen, I've poured into you, church. I long to be with you. I long to see you. Why? Because you are my joy and you are my crown. But I take great pride in you. And so he's telling the church, he says, again, listen to me. Listen to what I have to say to you. And he's, he's going to conclude this book with, with these things, these seven things. And he says, uh, beloved, uh, whom I long to see, my joy, my crown, in this way, here he is, stand firm. You're my joy. You're my crown. I love you. I want to see you. Until I see you again, here's what I want you to do. You stand firm, and you stand firm in the Lord. And if you were to go throughout the New Testament, the letters that Paul wrote, Paul often uses this command in, in multiple letters where he says, you stand firm. And the idea is, is a soldier who is staying faithfully put at his post no matter what happens to him. He stands there. God, or his, his, his authority said, stay here, and he's going to do it. He's going to stand firm. And Paul uses this analogy all throughout his letters. 1 Corinthians 15, stand firm, let nothing move you. 1 Corinthians 16, stand firm in the faith. Galatians 5, stand firm and do not be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Ephesians 6, stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Having done everything, stand. Philippians 1, stand firm in one spirit. Colossians 4, stand firm in all the will of God. 2 Thessalonians, you stand firm. So this idea of standing firm is Paul's admonition to the church. Listen, one way that you're going to experience the life that Jesus wants for you is if you stand firm in the Lord, which means don't turn your back on what God has asked you to do. Don't turn away. Don't turn away. Don't go the way of the world. You stand firm in the Lord. And again, I, I, I think here in verse number one is another reason why, and you hear me say this often, another reason why our church celebrates being multi-generational. One, heaven's going to be multi-generational, so that's why we need to be multi-generational. Well, the second reason that we need to be multi-generational, we continue to be multi-generational, is because this, and I said this last week, but I want to say it again, the younger generation needs the older generations to show us how to stand firm. Because older generations, you have gone through things that the younger generation has never gone through, and the younger generation does not know how to handle it, and so we need the older generation, the generations above us to say, you know what, it's going to be okay, you stand firm, and I promise you, God's going to see you through it. And so Paul says, stand firm. Um, many of you remember our, our former associate pastor, Larry Wilbur. Passed away over, over a year ago, but uh, Larry had a, had a saying that um, most of you know the saying, and here's what Larry would say, ah, it'll be all right. That was his saying. And oftentimes I'd come to him and I'd say, Larry, man, I'm just really frustrated about da-da-da-da-da-da or whatever, and I'm thinking I'm going to get some great, you know, great words, and he'd just look at me and say, it'll be all right. I'd be like, Larry, no, I cut my leg off. No, it'll be all right. It, it, it'll be fine. It, you, you, you'll be all right. But listen, why could Larry Wilbur, who gave his life to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the ministry of the gospel of Jesus how could he say it'll be all right? Because he knew what standing firm would do. Amen? You stand firm. 
I don't, I don't understand what's going on. And you stand firm. You stand firm in the Lord. And listen, everything is going to be all right. Not everything is a great crisis that the world wants you to think it's a crisis. You stand firm in the Lord. The second thing that Paul tells us in verses 2 and 3 is this. You be in harmony with fellow believers. Number one, you, you stand firm in the Lord. You be strong in the Lord. Verses 2 through 3, he tells us you, you be in harmony with fellow believers, which means this, you make music with other people in the, in the church, other believers. That's what harmony means. Look at verse number 2. He says, I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, my fellow companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared in my struggle. That phrase, shared in my struggle, literally means these two ladies um, uh, contended uh, for the gospel with Paul. They were on his right and on his left. They were fighting for the gospel. But something has happened. And now these two ladies are at each other's throat. And he says, Paul says, uh, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And here Paul says, he says, church, Philippi, Philippians, I love you. You're my joy, my crown. You stand firm. But know this, you need to be in harmony with one another. Can you imagine? Can you imagine in the church at Philippi, whoever's reading it, Paphroditus is reading this letter to the church. Chapters 1 through 3 is pretty good. Chapter 4, verse 1 is pretty good. And then chapter 2, uh, verse number 2, the names Euodia and Syntyche is pronounced. How do you think those two ladies felt? Do you imagine everybody turned around and just stared at them? I can't imagine. But here's what we know. This pretty much is all that we know about these two ladies. They're two leading women in the church, but they now can't get along. Here's some interesting things about these names. Euodia, it means sweet smell. Syntyche means friendly. Nobody else think that's ironic? So here we have sweet smell and friendly, and they are not very sweet nor friendly to each other. They are not with one another, and they are going at each other's throat. But what I love about Paul is he doesn't give us the details of what the issue is. Hello. He doesn't tell us, oh, let me tell you what they did. Because if he began to tell the church what they did, that begins to turn into gossip or a prayer meeting, right? Are you with me? He doesn't give them the details, but here's what Paul says, and here's what we need to understand. Here's what he tells these two ladies, Yodia, sweet smell, syntyche, friendly. Here's what he says. You get right with one another. He says, you settle your differences. He says, you two need to get together. Now, it doesn't mean they have to see eye to eye and agree on everything. The Lord knows that can never, ever happen. But here's what he says to these two ladies who were, um, who were close to him 10 years prior, who are now causing this disunity, who are fighting amongst each other. And you know this, church. You know when church members are fighting with one another. Hello? Right? You know it. You know it. And Paul says, the two of you, you need to stop. He says, you stop. If you want to be joyful, then you need to settle your differences. And you need to get together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you need to put your differences aside. 
You need to put your differences aside because here's what happens. You are creating disunity. You are creating disunity, and when you create disunity, you can cause the spread of the gospel to stop just because of your disunity, because you want it one way and the other person wants it another way. Now, I don't know if you've caught the theme of Philippians, but Paul does not put up with disunity. Amen? He despises it. And he says, he said, you, you, you need to get together on the same page. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. To be, to be at each other's throat. In the book, What They Never Told Us About How to Get Along with One Another, Judson Edwards lists six rules for healthy relationships. I think this is great. Listen to this. He said, agree more and argue less. Listen more, talk less. Produce more, advertise less. Confess more, accuse less. Laugh more, worry less. Give more and receive less. That's pretty good, isn't it? And this is what Paul is saying to these two. Euodia, start smelling better. That's what he's saying. Syntyche, be friendly as your name so it says about you. Well, Paul says, you want to be joyful? You stand, you stand strong, Lord. You, you settle your differences. You, you take care of those. And here's number three. Paul says this in verse number four. He says, be a rejoicer. Stand firm in the Lord, be in harmony with others. Verse number four, be a rejoicer. Choose to rejoice. Verse four, rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I will say rejoice. Now, again, remember the context. What's the context of Paul saying to rejoice? It's these two ladies. Is that the context? It's the two ladies who are arguing with one another. It's disunity, and Paul says, in the midst of that disunity, in the midst of this, this arguing, here's what you need to do. You need to rejoice. And Paul uses, uh, in Greek, it's the present imperative, which means this is a continual, habitual thing that you have to choose every day of your life. Now, you know this, and this ties up, this ties in with being in harmony with one another. You know this, that, that disunity that disunity is a destroyer of joy. Amen? Disunity is a destroyer of joy. And you know this, that Christians cannot rejoice together when they are in disunity. But here's the Spirit's job. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, His job is to promote unity and is to promote oneness in the body. And so Paul says through the power of the Holy Spirit, not only do you need to settle your differences, but once you settle your differences, you get back on the main focus, which is this, you rejoice in the Lord. You rejoice in the Lord. And many of you, many of you know this, and, and especially those who may be a little bit older, may be a little bit wiser than some of us, you know this, that many times you can rejoice your way through a difficult situation. Amen? Yes, you can. You can rejoice your way through difficult situations. I mean, many people, you look at many people of the faith, who goes through a difficult time, but yet they choose to rejoice, and God gives them a supernatural power to make it through these difficult things. And Paul says, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And he says, in case you didn't get it the first time, he's going to say, again, I tell you to rejoice. I mean, rejoice is what, when we come on Sunday mornings, we're coming here to rejoice. Well, I don't feel like it, pastor. Well, guess what? Sometimes the pastor doesn't feel like it either. Right? 
But we choose. We choose to rejoice. Um, as I was preparing this week, I heard of a, of a conference that was held for uh, Southern Baptists and uh, whom Southern Baptists we are uh, notoriously known for not having much freedom in our worship. Amen? See? Nobody said amen. It proves the point. <laughs> proves the point. And, you know, we're notorious for not, you know, being a little reserved in worship, but uh, during this conference, um, they passed out um, balloons filled with helium, and they gave the instructions to, the, to those, in the, those attendees and said, once you feel the spirit of joy and you have something that you're just joyful about, you just let that balloon go. All just during the worship, so you just let it go. And so during the service, they kind of let some things go, let some balloons go, they come up to the ceiling, but at the end of the service, the conference said this, over half of the balloons were left unreleased. Church, we need to let our balloons go. We have so much to be joyful for. So much to be joyful for. Yes, you know me. As I, I, I make light and enjoy with my Red Raiders, the Georgia Bulldogs, the Braves. Yes, that is, those things, yes, I get that. But those are, let's be honest, those are superficial things, Amen. Those are superficial things, right? But we have so much to be joyful about. And as a church, we need to let our balloons go, and we need to, we need to, be, uh, we just need to fill this room with joy for what God has done in our lives. I mean, God has saved us. That should bring us joy. God has delivered us. That should bring us joy. I mean, a lost and dying world wants to be filled with joy, and the joy in a church should just draw people in. Man, what is, what is going on with these? These people are joyful in all circumstances, in all situations. What is it? Man, it's the joy of the Lord. Let me tell you what he's done for me. And Paul says, you, you want to have a, a life that is filled with joy. You want to have joyful living. Man, you stand firm. You settle your day. Man, take care of the problems with you and whoever it is. Take care of it. And then you choose to rejoice and lift up the rooftop with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, did y'all hear how loud the brave stadium truest park, how it got when they hit those home runs? Are you with me? How loud did it get in some of your houses? I remember my dad, I'm close with my dad, real, real close. We talk often, um, probably, probably my best friend in the world. I remember growing up, he was the one, and my parents, they took me to church, and for the longest time, I always thought my dad was a believer, and, and, uh, but when I was, I guess, a junior in high school, I, I remember, I knew that my dad was talking to uh, a friend of ours a lot, um, and just talking about things that I didn't know what it was about, but I remember one morning I woke up and my, and my dad pulled me aside and said, hey, Chris, I just want to tell you something. He said, um, he said uh, I just want you to know that I just came to the realization that, that I, I've never been saved until last night when I prayed to receive Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior for the very first time. And he said, Chris, I get it now. And I said, that's awesome, Dad. What, what, how, how did that happen? Right? Just what happened? And this is what he said. I've never forgotten this. Now, you, you, guys, you guys have figured this out. But I, mean, I, I like sports. I like those things. You figure that. I get that from my dad. We like that. Those things are great. But my dad said this, and he said, Chris, I, I, I just came to the realization that, that, 
that I get way too excited about sports and I don't get that excited about the Lord and I knew something was wrong. Are you with me? And we can go to these stadiums. I do it too. But that is all superficial. That stuff will not go with us when we get into eternity. And so the joy, the, the joy of the Lord is what is to overwhelm our lives. And so Paul says, be strong, be in harmony, be a rejoicer. And then in verse number five, he says this, be gentle to all people. Be gentle to all people. Verse five, it says this, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Now when Paul says, let it be known, that phrase be known is a command to all men, tells us who we need to show our gentle spirit to. To all men it literally means all men. Meaning this is not just to believers. Are you with me? It's, also, it's to all people. Paul says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. This phrase, gentleness or gentleness, it's really, really difficult uh, to fully understand. It's hard from the Greek to the English. It's really, really difficult. But listen to the way Eugene Peterson of The Message rewrites this verse. I think it's really good because it makes what I think this word means. He says, make it as clear as you can to all you meet that you're on their side working with them and not against them. One commentary defined it this way. Gentle spirit is this, laying down your rights even when you know you're right. We don't hear much about gentleness today, do we? What do we hear? You tell them what your right is. I have a right to tell you that you're wrong. Well, I have a right to tell you that you're dumb. So there you go. <laughs> right? But Paul says, he says, we're different. He says, believers, we're different. Because we are in the Lord, we are different. We, we treat people differently. We speak differently. We live differently. And he says, we, we get our joy differently. And we get it by being gentle. By being gentle in spirit. We, we live in this day where we think gentleness is weakness. But the Bible never, 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 never says gentleness is weakness. The Bible says it's the opposite. Gentleness is strength. Gentleness is, is, is power. Gentleness is, is, is the strongest, uh, or, or the strongest people in, uh, in, in the earth is, are those who are gentle. Christ was gentle. Christ was lowly in spirit. And the Bible says that those who are arrogant, proud, mean, rude, Fill in other synonyms that go along with those, those words. The Bible says those are the weak. But the strong are those who are gentle. And Paul says, you, you, you want a joyful life. You be gentle in spirit. Now here's what we know about gentleness. In Galatians, Paul calls gentleness what? A fruit of what? The spirit. So here's the deal. When you and I, when we walk in gentleness, when we are gentle in spirit, three things take place. Number one, when you are gentle, it is evidence 
that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? Number two, it is evidence that you're walking in the Holy Spirit. We're all filled with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we don't walk in the Holy Spirit. You want to point to somebody right now? Right? We're filled, but then we walk. And the third thing is this. When you are kind to people, it is a form of evangelism. Paul ends this verse by saying the Lord is near. When you are gentle in spirit, the Lord is near. Which means this, and I believe this with all of my heart. Being kind to people, being gentle to people, is one of the greatest doorways to evangelism. Nobody else agrees with that? Am I the only one? I believe that kindness is one of the greatest doorways to evangelism. Let, let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. Many of you know that we've had, we have police officers that offer security for our church on Sunday mornings. You, you've noticed that. And uh, we have a Sunday small group that ministers to them. And let me tell you, multiple things that I've heard from the police officers that, that they have shared with me and other people have shared with me about them. This, and this one comes from one just recently. They, they said this. They said, we love to come to First Baptist Church, Brunswick. Amen. And when they said, the person said, well, why? And, and the police officer responded with these words, because it's the only place where people in the church talk to us. Now, that is an indictment on other churches, but praise God to First Baptist Church Brunswick, amen? They were kind. They were good. And they want to be here. I mean, kindness opens up so many doors. Being gentle opens up so many doors. And Paul says, listen, church, he says, you be strong in the Lord. You, you be in harmony with one another. You are a rejoicer. You are gentle to everyone. And when you do these things, I promise you the Lord is near. Well, the fifth thing that Paul says, this is, this is in verse number six, is this. It is be calm. In the margin of your Bible... I want you to write these words, especially for Braves fans tonight during World Series game number five. <laughs> right? Because Philippians 4, 6, here's the only part we're going to look at for this under be calm. It says this, be anxious for nothing. Do, another word is worry. Do not worry, Braves fans. Don't worry. Do not be anxious about anything. That word anxious literally means to be divided or to be, to be d distracted. And, and, and Paul says, listen, you need to choose not to worry. So when you look at the text, Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Uh, the Greek word anxious, there is a negative in front of it, which means don't be anxious, which implies that they that they already are anxious, that they were anxious. And Paul said, no, 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 church, no, no. No, you, 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 want, you want joy? You want to experience all this life where you don't have to worry about your circumstances to determine joy? He says, don't worry about anything. How many of you would say that's pretty simple? Maybe one of the most difficult things to do, but Paul says, you don't worry. Now, here, here's a question for you. Is there any wiggle room in this verse? No. Is there any exception? Does Paul say, uh, be anxious for nothing except when? No, he, he, he doesn't say that. He says, church, you, you don't worry about anything. 
But here's how we are, right? Here's how we are. We read verse 6. Be anxious, be anxious for nothing. But in our quiet times with the Lord, we'll say, but Lord, but what about, what about this situation? God says, I've already told you. Don't be anxious. But, but, but what, 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 what about this? No, 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 no. I already said, don't, don't do this. This is, this, you, nah. But God, God, I don't know if you really, God, I don't know if you really, I don't think, I don't really, no, no, no. He says, my child, don't worry. Don't, don't, don't worry. Now, when you, and you get this in counseling, right? When you tell somebody to not do something, that's pretty difficult, right? And so in counseling, when you tell somebody to not do something, here's what you have to do. Tell them not to do something, but then do this in the place of. Are you with me? Don't do this. Okay. That's great, but what? And this is Paul. Paul says, don't do this, but you do this in the place of. So here's the sixth thing he says. You be a prayer warrior. You want to live a life that's joyful. You want to have joy in all things, all circumstances. Why don't you be calm? Don't be anxious anything. And instead, be a prayer warrior. Don't panic. Pray. Verse 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, and the peace of God which transcends all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul has three, uh, three words or three pieces of advice for us if we're going to be a prayer warrior. He says, one, you pray about everything. Folks, there's nothing too small to pray about. There's nothing too small to pray about. Well, there's one thing. Asking Pastor Chris to preach shorter messages, that's not a good thing to pray about. There's nothing too small. There's nothing. Pray about everything, but also pray with thanksgiving. I mean, meaning when we go to make our request known to God, we do it with a joyful heart. We do it with thanksgiving. God, thank you for what you've already done, and thank you that you're already going to answer my prayer. He is going to answer. He's going to speak to you. So Paul says, church, you pray about everything, you pray with thanksgiving, and then you pray with expectation. You make your requests known to God. You ask God. You be bold. You enter, to in his, you enter into the Holy of Holies. You grab hold of the Holy Father because he's already grabbed hold of you, and you just tell him what's going on. And you become a prayer warrior. How many of you remember the song, the hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus? How many remember that one? Okay, most of you. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God, what? In prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Wow. Be a prayer warrior. Be a prayer warrior. History tells us this about, the disciple, about, about James, the brother of Jesus. Um, history tells us that, that James, um, his nickname was, was Camel Knees. Do you know that? His nickname was Camel Knees. Do you know why? Because he spent a majority of his time on his knees in prayer. Camel Knees. A prayer warrior. Oh, we need prayer warriors. We need prayer warriors who enter into the heavenlies and begins to pray and communicate with the Holy Father. You want a joyful life? You do that. You be a prayer warrior. And here's the result. Paul says this. Here's what will happen. When you do that, 
The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good? You want peace, then you get on your knees. You want joy, get on your knees. So Paul says, be strong, be in harmony, be a rejoicer, be gentle, be calm, be a prayer warrior. And number seven, the last one is this, be a godly thinker. Look at verses eight and number nine. Paul tells us that we're to think holy thoughts because the battle's in our brain, it's in our mind. He says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, what is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. That word dwell literally means to think and to meditate. In verse 9, the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul says, you want joy? You've got to change the way you think. One of my favorite motivational speakers was a man by the name of Zig Ziglar. Some of you may know that name. And he always had this phrase. He said this, you got to get rid of your stinking thinking. And you know the stinking thinking causes a lot of our own problems. Amen? And Paul says, you think holy thoughts. You think holy thoughts. Anything is true, you dwell on it. It's good, you dwell on it. Is it beautiful, you dwell on it. Does it honor people? You dwell on it. Is it excellent? You dwell on it. You think about these things. Now, the scripture says that we're to take captive of every thought and make it obedient to Christ Jesus. Amen? And Paul says, you, you want to experience the joy that I experience in prison? Then you got, you got to put your mind on Christ. You, you focus on him. You look at what he has done and you say, God, thank you. Thank you. And you begin to, you begin to put your mind on him. And the Bible says this, that he will keep him in perfect peace. From the book of Isaiah, he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. Have you ever noticed that when your mind is not stayed on him, when your mind is on, on, the, on the world, your life gets like this? You ever notice that? You're up and down. But Isaiah says it, Paul says it. You keep your mind on Christ. That's a sure and firm foundation. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Josh is going to lead us a song called, Lord, I Need You. That's going to be our, it's going to be our cry. Our prayer for for God to move in our lives, and it's also going to be a prayer for God to begin to prepare our hearts to take the Lord's Supper. Father, we come before you now. Father, let this song of, Lord, I need you, let that be our cry. God, that we can't make it in this life without you. We need you. So I pray that you prepare our hearts now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Joshua, will you lead us in that? Won't you stand with this church? Lord, I come. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. You're the
If you'll go ahead and take out your communion cup and the wafer at this time, as we come as our response to God's word this morning, our response to what has been sung through worship, we're going to partake in the Lord's Supper. Um, If you do not have a, a cup, would you please raise your hand? Our ushers will come by and get those for you. If you don't have one, please raise your hand. Now, this is for baptized believers, and this is a moment where we will be thankful for Jesus' death, his burial, and then his resurrection. And the Bible says that we need to do this until the Lord returns. And so the book of Corinthians, Paul tells us this, that he received from the Lord what I pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he given thanks, he broke it, and he said... This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, and do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you pray with me, please? Father, as we participate in the Lord's Supper, Father, may our hearts be turned to you, and may we allow you to examine our hearts. Would you just take a few moments and talk to the Father right now? That night, Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take, eat, and do it in remembrance of me. Josh, lead us. Oh 
on that night, Jesus said these words. In the same way, he took the cup. Would you pray with me, please? Father, as we take the cup, may we be reminded of why you came. You came to... You came to spill your blood upon us so that we'd be set free from sin. Oh God, overwhelm us with that thought right now. That your blood is the life. And we say thank you. Would you take a moment just to tell him thank you for the blood. Would you tell him that right now? Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Would you stand as we sing nothing but the blood? Joshua, would you please? One.